Hey there, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get the gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions, such as how do I get my show on Spotify and all the other places people love to listen? How can I make money with this podcast? And where do I want to host this show? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors so you can get paid to podcast. As an Anchor user myself, I love how easy it is to upload my podcast and the fact I can get to Spotify and other platforms. Plus, I love the fact I can now start making money with my talent and my podcast. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Pulse Podcast Network, keeping your finger on the pulse. On episode 84 of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, we're catching up on nearly two weeks of local sports. It was NKU week at Wright State, college baseball has begun, ice hockey is making the sharp skate home, and so much more. If it's in Cincinnati and Dayton, it's on the local Sunday Sports Podcast. Welcome to another installment of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Opening theme from Music Radio Creative. Visit theleewmallon.com slash podcast to listen on your favorite podcasting platform. Now for our host, Lee W. Mallon. Happy 12th year anniversary to the Chargers tweeting, so hungry, need to find my wife and head to P.F. Chang's. What does that have to do with Cincinnati or Dayton sports? Nothing, but still one of my favorite tweets. And it got retweeted by the Los Angeles Chargers, wishing P.F. Chang's a happy anniversary. I like it when social media is fun. Anyways, hello and welcome back to the local Sunday sports podcast, your source of local sports. Sorry, it's been about two weeks since I published an episode. Time, life, and sickness got me down. In fact, this is about the 14th take of the first sentence. I really haven't cleared the first hurdle yet. And it got me pretty upset, and I had to take about a 30-minute break. I don't like it when I get angry. I turn out to be quite the jerk, but there you go. A little something about me. We'll start off with NKU week at Wright State. That was last week, and if you're a long-time listener of this podcast, you know that I think Norfolk, Kentucky, and Wright State is a fantastic rivalry, and probably the best conference rivalry that the Horizon League offers. Take that, Green Bay and Milwaukee, and Cleveland State and Youngstown State, and Detroit and Oakland, and... UIC and IUPUI. I don't know if that's considered... Anyway. Since Norfolk, Kentucky and Wright State are in Cincinnati and Dayton, that's less than an hour drive to either campus, depending on 
you know, what time you leave and if you hit Cincinnati and or Dayton traffic. Neither are fun, I can assure you. But when I was in college at Wright State, the rivalry was Butler. And Butler in Indianapolis, it was two, two and a half hours west, so it wasn't bad, but at the same time, you know, it's still a longer trip. Whereas NKU Wright State, it's an hour and there you go. You're part of the rivalry type of deal. We'll go ahead and tell you how NKU week went. Spoilers, Wright State took both matches. The men's basketball Raiders were defeated at BB&T Arena, home of the Norse, with a 68-64 Northern Kentucky win on January 11th. The Wright State women won at NKU 61-55 in a game that stayed very close throughout on January 12th. What it meant in the standings, it had a deeper meaning in standings-wise for the men's basketball side, as Nova Kentucky was in first place by themselves at 10-3 and in the Horizon League, and Wright State a game back at 9-4. and The women on the other side, Wright State at 11-2 and for first place, and Nova Kentucky in seventh at 6-7. and The Raiders came out victorious in both matches at the Nutter Center. The men coming back from a large deficit. Won 81 to 77 over the Norse, and the women picked up a very decisive 78 to 56 win over Northern Kentucky. Both Wright State squads winning those matches, and in fact, one of the key points in the women's basketball win for Wright State, the Raiders shot 76.5 percent in that first quarter. Remember, women's basketball is in four quarters instead of two halves like it is in men's basketball. Wright State shot 13 of 17 in that first 10 minutes. That's pretty dynamite. And also scored 20 points off of 11 Nova Kentucky turnovers. And the Raiders had the largest lead at 29. That was back in the second quarter. For the Raiders, they were serviced by a career-high 29 points from junior Bill Wampler. Also connected on 10 field goals and four threes off the bench. And the 10th double-double of the season for Loudon Love. 20 points, 11 boards, and two assists with a block and one steal. That men's game was very impressive as that set up a first-place tie with the Norse. Both NKU and Wright State at 10-4. and four. And upcoming this week for the Raiders, the Northeastern Ohio trip. Making down to the Nutter Center, the Raiders were victorious. The men Raiders were victorious in both battles in Northeastern Ohio. And the women fell to Youngstown State, one of two losses thus far. Both women's basketball conference losses for the Raiders were on the road at YSU and at Green Bay. So, so far, the Raiders have taken care of business at home. So, it'll be pretty interesting to see. Again, the Northeastern Ohio swing to the Nutter Center is this week. Cleveland State's in last place at 2-12, and and Youngstown State is at 7-7, and which is tied with two other teams for that place. Both Michigan teams in the Horizon League are at 7-7. Seven and seven. That's a tie for fifth place. Oakland and Detroit Mercy at 7-7. Seven and seven. In fact, the Golden Grizzlies and the Titans have similar records, like overall records, 11 and 16 for Oakland, 10 and 16 for Detroit Mercy, which by the way, I don't believe I got to because it might have been part of that week where I missed. 
the Raiders did take down Detroit Mercy and held Antoine Davis to 17 points compared to the 48 he scored at UDM when the Raiders fell there. So very, very big win for the Raiders. And we'll see how Wright State fares the rest of the way. Trying to lock up a first place seed, the regular season championship, and a first round bye. And now, we'll jump into college baseball. That started in all six Division One squads, plus Sinclair and downtown Dayton, got their season underway. The Raiders went 1-1 one one in their series at number 10 Old Miss. The third game was rained out, and a lot of fans on Twitter were quite angry that it was rained out. A lot of them pointing fingers at Old Miss for canceling it, some pointing at Wright State because they were afraid to play. Yeah, right, I'm rolling my eyes. Which, on an audio podcast, you can't see, but let me tell you, I'm rolling my eyes on that. The Raiders found the first game 10-1, to but picked up a 9-5 to win, and led 8 nothing at one point of the match. Zane Collins picked up his first win, and also the season's first Horizon League Pitcher of the Week honors, when Collins struck out six Rebels over five innings in his win. Cruiser picked up the first Raiders save with a third of an inning pitched, and the Raiders now set their sights for a three-game series at Oklahoma State. For the Dayton Flyers, they go 0 for 3 at number 9 Georgia. The Flyers fell in the first game 5 to 1, where first-year Flyer Alex Brickman hits his first home run. The Flyers also fall 10 to 7 in the second game and 13 to 1 in the finale. The Flyers now have a neutral site series with Seton Hall in Cary, North Carolina. So, tough start for the Flyers. And then Sinclair went 1-1 one one after splitting the opening series at Chattanooga State Community College. I believe their schedule was a little bit messed up because of weather as well. The Tartan Pride fell 9-4 to in the first game, but won 11-10 in the second game. First win for the Tartan Pride of the year goes to A.J. Peter out of Grove City, Ohio. Four relief innings, four earned runs, seven hits, two strikeouts out of the bullpen. First save goes to Jacob Bruskowski of Uniontown, Ohio, with one and two-thirds innings of shutout baseball, just two hits allowed, and struck out three. The next series for Sinclair is at Georgia Highlands College for three games as well. And I have here on my internet browser choice, which wouldn't you like to know about that? We'll talk a little bit about these three Daytonian college baseball teams. First with Wright State. Should be a very exciting season. Lots of turnover from last year, including head coach Jeff Mercer, who is now the skipper of the Indiana Hoosiers, which, by the way, they took two out of three against the Memphis Tigers on the road. So congrats go out to Coach Mercer. Coach Sogard, like I mentioned, picked up his first win as the head skip of the Raiders in that second game against Old Miss. So far, the Raiders are serviced with a 375 batting average for Zane Harris, three hits out of eight at-bats, along with third baseman Seth Gray out of Springfield, Ohio. Peyton Burdick, who swapped his number from, what was it last year? It wasn't five. That was J.D. Orr. I forget which one, but now Burdick is donning the number 88 jersey, which, that's a great number. Burdick's batting 333, two hits out of six at-bats. And 
Justin McConnell out of Springboro. He's hitting 333, one hit out of three at-bats. He redshirted last year. Should be an impactful piece in that infield for Wright State. Zach Weatherford from Northmont High School in Inglewood, 2 of 7. Chase Sloan, a Juco in his last year at WSU, 2 of 7 as well. Just seeing the batting averages, just seeing the stats for baseball really warms me up a little bit. It also helps that it's snowed out there type of thing. I can't wait for baseball season to come here to Ohio, being PA announcer for UD and Wright State. So I can't I can't wait. We'll look at UD stats too. This year there's a couple first year names for the Flyers. One name that's done quite well in his three games is Jay Curtis. He's a catcher and he start off the year three of eight. One start, three games played. On base percentage close to 500, 444. First year flyer and former Tartan Pride Eddie Persinger. He's played second base in all three games. He's three of ten thus far. Riley Tyrata, three of ten as well, returning back to Dayton. Mitchell Garrity, three of eleven. In his first series at Georgia. Michael Cleary, two of ten. Alex Brickman, he did pick up his first two hits of the year in that 5-1 loss to Georgia but didn't pick up a hit in the rest of the series. He's 2 of 11 with two RBIs, which co-leads the Flyers, along with Curtis and Tyrata. Nine RBIs collected on that weekend for the Flyers. And already a lot of names getting some action. First-year Flyer Marcos Pujols, 1 of 11 thus far. Benjamin Blackwell, 2 of 11 thus far. And senior Connor Eccles out of Sydney, he's one of six thus far. What I noticed while I was following the stats along with the Flyers is there was a lot of substitutions, a lot of Flyers getting chances against the Bulldogs, which I like. It's This is a team the Dayton Flyers have that could make some noise. They were picked to finish ninth out of, I think, 13, 14, A-10 teams. But I still think this is going to be a solid year for second-year head coach Jason King and the Flyers. And it's hard to believe that in about two weeks, UD's first home game is scheduled to be at 3 o'clock at now DPNL Stadium against Purdue-Fort Wayne. Wow, two weeks and we'll have home baseball, maybe. Now this winter crap keeps happening. And swinging over to the Sinclair side, the Tartans are batting 352 in two games. That's very nice. Dylan Carpenter, 11 at bats, three hits for a 273 average. High averages thus far. Alex Jacobs in nine at bats. A sophomore infielder, four of nine. You also have Mike Sears, four of nine, his first year at SCC. Two home runs hit by Sinclair in that two game opener. It's nice to have college baseball back. And also for the Cincinnati squads, well, between UC, XU, and Northern Kentucky, combined 0 for 10. Now, when you look at the records, you think 0 for 10. That They must have a really bad year coming up. Remember, Northern college baseball teams don't usually have the luxury of A, warm weather, or B, a big giant bubble to go play in. I think there's a big giant bubble to play in in Rosemont, Illinois, but that's softball. 
Maybe they have baseball there. I don't know. I've never been. So you make the trip south. You make the trip west. You make the trip wherever you can play. There's a couple tough teams. And the Xavier, they were swept at North Carolina. Yeah, the Tar Heels, the ACC. So that's a big series for the Muskies. And Xavier has Sanford for three next on the road. Cincinnati was swept at Florida Atlantic. And they'll head to Houston Baptist next. And Northern Kentucky is 0 for 4. Why 0 for 4 when your normal season opening series are three games? Well, there was a three-game sweep at Western Kentucky, which surprised me because Bowling Green, Kentucky, yeah, it's in the south. Kentucky is part of the south, I guess, geologically. It's just something that, you know, doesn't click immediately in my mind. It's not when I say south, I mean towards the ocean, where it's warmer, like Florida, like the deep south type of thing. So that that surprised me. Western Kentucky was able to open at home, and they swept Northern Kentucky, and then the Norse took an eighteen nothing loss at Tennessee. Northern Kentucky gets North Carolina A and T for the next three, and that's your college baseball wrap up the first weekend. Like I mentioned, I cannot wait until college baseball is back here in Dayton, Ohio. Raiders are picked to win the Horizon League. Dayton picked to finish ninth. And yes, the Raiders and Flyers will tangle twice unless weather gets a nice hand in it and making it impossible to do that. So, there you go. We'll now talk about high school hockey. The episode... Destined for last week was supposed to talk about how the Southwest Ohio High School Hockey League and the Capital Hockey League tournaments were won, but since I didn't have that, two weeks ago in the Swashel, it's separated by a red and gold division. Red is considered to be the tougher of the two divisions. And when you're the top seed in the gold for the regular season, not only do you go to the red division for next season, but you're the sixth seed in the red division bracket to help out. It's not so much evenness because there's only three games in the gold division, but it helps out with, you know, helps out with evenness in the red division. I think I said it helps out with evenness the last episode I did, but really it's to give the top two teams in the red a first-round bye, which were St. Xavier and Oxford-Talawanda, who played for the Red Division Trophy, which is a beautiful trophy displaying many years of history. The St. Xavier Bombers came out on top for a third time in a row after never winning the Cup. The Bombers have won three in a row. Congrats go out to the Bombers, having called two of those three championship wins. St. Xavier's got quite the team. The Gold Division winner, their first championship game in hockey, the Lancers of LaSalle. They rolled deep with a pair of wins against their Cincinnati foe Sycamore and Mason. So congrats go out to St. X and LaSalle for their bracket wins. And in the Capital Hockey Conference. It's split up by championship and consolation. You have to place well enough to play in the championship. And if you don't, you're in the consolation. Everyone makes it into one of those two. 
The Muller Crusaders and the Springboro Panthers were in the consolation. Muller, if they defeated Dublin Kaufman in the regular season, they would have played for the championship, but since they didn't, there you go. Dublin Jerome won the Blue Jackets Cup championship bracket for the third year in a row. Congrats go out to the Celtics. They are in the top five in the state rankings, by the way. They are one of the top teams in the state. And for the consolation winner, it was a battle of Cincinnati-Dayton once again, and the Molo Crusaders came out on top 11-3. to So congrats go out to the Crusaders, as now we'll look at the first weekend of state hockey playoffs. Again, that was the last episode that I published talking about that, and I do apologize again for missing all that, and I want to apologize to my Centerville Elks family for missing the two playoff games in Columbus, like I mentioned, sickness got the better of me, and I absolutely hated the fact that I missed it because of sickness, but what more can I do? We'll start off with the top. We'll go through the first round and then the second round. First round's normally Friday or Saturday, depending on when you were scheduled. And then second round starts Saturday and then finish up on Sunday. We'll start off with Dublin, Sciota, and Elder. The Panthers took down the Irish 5-3. to three. And set up a date with Dublin Jerome. Oxford Talawanda fell to Thomas Worthington 5-1. And Dublin Kaufman defeated Beaver Creek 5-4 in two overtimes. That set up Thomas Worthington and Kaufman for that battle. Springboro defeated St. Francis the Sales in two periods, 11-1. They called that game early. The second of three matches between the Stallions and the Panthers that was called early. The first one was at South Metro. It was... The game I couldn't make because I think Seneville was on the road. So that set up Springboro with New Albany, who had a first-round bye. Seneville took down Columbus Academy 5-2. to Yelks picked up a very nice win at Nationwide Arena. Bishop Watterson takes down Sycamore 9-1. to Olentangy defeats Olentangy Orange 4 nothing, And St. Xavier flies over Mason 11-1. to Your last two games in the first round... Archbishop Alter falls to Gehanna Lincoln in overtime 2-1. And Olentangy Berlin defeats Troy 5-3. Now for the second bout, Dublin Jerome handles Elder 15-0. Thomas Worthington is edged by Dublin Kaufman 4-3. Rocks win in OT, setting up a Dublin battle. New Albany defeats Springboro 7-2, ending the Panthers season. And St. Charles and Centerville season 7-1. The third period got away from the Elks. It was 3-0 after 2. And the Cardinals added 4. The Elks got one back with a power play. And that is the end of eight talented Elk seniors. In their 7-1 loss to St. Charles. For a Springboro, three seniors said goodbye to... SHS and their loss to New Albany. Upper Arlington hammers out Bishop Watterson 11 to nothing. The Golden Bears with a double digit win and Olentangy takes care of St. X 6 to 4 and Moeller takes down Gehanna Lincoln 10 nothing. And in the last game of the second round, Olentangy Liberty takes down their brother school, their Newest in the school district, Olentangy Berlin. It's the Patriots 8 and Olentangy Berlin Bears 0. 
So there's one team left in the Cincinnati-Dayton region, still in the Columbus district brackets, and that will be Cincinnati Moeller. They're the sixth seed, and they'll have Olentangy Liberty in a battle of three versus six at Nationwide Arena on the 23rd at 6.45. Your second bout in the next round, Upper Arlington versus Olentangy, battle of two and seven. That's on the 23rd at 4.45. You'll have St. Charles, the five seed, taking on four seed New Albany at Nationwide on the 23rd at 2.45. And your first one of the day in the 23rd, again, the Battle of Dublin. Dublin Jerome, the overall number one seed, taking on number 10, Dublin Kaufman. And the winners of those games play at Nationwide Arena on the 24th. And in the semifinals, the winners will take on Nationwide Arena's ice one more time on the 2nd of March at 7.30 to play the winner of the Kent District on March 8th. And this will be at the Ice House at Nationwide Arena to the state semifinals. And then I see a tweet from my good friend, hopefully yours too, Coach Greg Gutterman of the Beaver Creek Beavers. This is from yesterday. Actually, no, two days ago. Wow. My sense of time is completely wiped away. And he tweets, Time for a two-division Ohio HS hockey playoff system. 50 district playoff games this weekend statewide. And that's all four brackets, not just counting Columbus. Half of them. That's 25 games decided by a goal differential of seven, meaning half the games the victorious team won by seven or more. 19, so 19 of 50, had lopsided 10-plus goal differentials, meaning the winning team crushed the other team. And he continues, this happens every year, you be the judge. I don't mind that, except for the fact there is not a lot of ice hockey teams in Cincinnati or Dayton. You do find schools, you do find more schools that have the sport when you get closer to Michigan, the lake, and towards the Pennsylvania area. Anything south of that? Mm. And then my good friend, uh, Jamie Antello, which you heard on one of the recent episodes of this podcast saying it makes sense to him. Competitive balance should be important when it comes to having a state tournament where all teams feel like they can compete. Ohio Hockey Digest says that Coach Gutterman stole his thunder and there's an upcoming story on Ohio Hockey Digest, which I might touch on more a little bit later on. I am planning to have a week with two episodes again to catch up on last week's no episodes. There's someone saying that the bottom teams in each division do not qualify, therefore making it like football where you pick up points and if you're qualified enough, you can go to the playoffs. If you haven't, see you next year type of thing. And actually, that article just popped up. Look at that. It's like I can predict the future or something. And this is from Scott Harrington, the gentleman that runs Ohio Hockey Digest, which covers pretty much anything hockey-related. A lot of Northern hockey stuff talked about on the site. You know what? We will save it for 
we'll save it for another episode because again it is it is pretty important but like i mentioned coach gutterman bringing up a good pa- a good fact that yeah half of them decided by seven or more goals 19 of the 50 games decided by 10 or more is that competitive i don't think so but what am I to judge? I'm just a broadcaster, announcer, and podcaster. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see about that. It might go on a later episode, but there's a lot of stuff I need to cover as well. So if you got any opinions on that, you can tweet at me or the podcast. Again, Twitter.com slash the Lee W. Mowen, that's T H E L E E W M O W E N, or at Gem on Queen Crown. I'm there both. And now, time for a message from the Pulse Podcast Network. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is 8 Bit Ray from the Gorilla Brain Podcast, part of the Pulse Podcast Network. Did you know that you could be using this spot to advertise your company or business? Well, I've done the research, and PodcastInsights.com report that podcast listeners are loyal, affluent, and mostly college-educated, but most importantly, are five times more likely to interact with the ad they hear on their favorite podcast than an ad from any other medium. If you would like to advertise your company or brand with our network, it's simple. All you have to do is send an email to marketing at PulsePodcastNetwork.com. I'll say it one more time. Marketing at PulsePodcastNetwork.com. And we hope to hear from you soon. And episode 84 starts back up with a brand new kit. That's right, FC Cincinnati, their first year at MOS. And they're donning the new age in soccer in the Queen City with a brand new primary kit. As you might know, the sponsor on the old USL kits for Cincinnati was Toyota. Now it's Mercy Health. These are made by Adidas and they feature a royal blue base which is distinctively accented with vibrant orange throughout. Press release words, not mine, which you can find at FC Cincinnati's website. The initial response on Twitter that I saw, meh. My personal response They're alright. It's nice. The only thing I do worry about, though, if you're watching an FC Cincinnati game, especially if you're not sitting that close to the pitch, are you going to be able to see the orange? Because there are four vertical stripes of diagonal orange lines heading up and down. And looking on here, it looks nice. And there's parts of the orange stripes, which are thicker than others. There's parts where it's really thin orange diagonal lines. I like it. I I like the blue. I like the blue color. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit brighter shade of blue than what's on the new FC Cincinnati logo. I, I think it's cool, although I don't know how distinct the orange is going to pop up, especially if you're watching these games wherever you might be which by the way I think the agreement is now it's on 64 star 64 used to be the WB 64 and then they took over 25 in Cincinnati it doesn't matter anyway the new kit I like it I like the orange color Not it's not like a flip up collar where you can pop it up or whatever 
you do with soccer collars, but it's got an orange ring around the area, and then it, it has stripes coming towards the shoulders, like orange stripes. So I like it. It's based on the Mi Adidas. My Adidas? M-I. It's M-I Adidas. Could be Michigan Adidas. Ooh. The inaugural FCC kit has short diagonal orange accent lines of varying widths that form vertical, virtual vertical stripes on the front. Again, press releases words, not mine. And I also told you about Mercy Health being the new kit sponsor. The white ones, they're white. It's simple and powerful, pure white design with monotone textured horizontal stripes of varying thickness. I'm looking on it. It's it's a white jersey with the FC Cincinnati logo, Mercy Health's logo, Adidas. There's no stripes on there. I I, I see the white stripes where the orange stripes are in the blue kit. I don't know. The secondary jersey just screams too plain to me. But maybe that's just me. Also on both of the kits which I thought was really interesting. A special jock tag on the left front hem features 2019 inaugural season with the zero in the 2019 replaced with the club's crest, which is the logo in soccer terms. The neck and arms feature white and orange fabric. This is back on the home kit to form a double layer edge. Adidas's trademark three stripes are featured in orange on the jersey shoulders. I see. Well, there you go. I do like the blue, although I think the orange stripes... Yeah. If it was the same thickness on the orange stripes, if they had fairly thin diagonal stripes going vertically, I think I would have liked it a lot more, but maybe that would have been too busy. I don't know. I don't design kits. All I do is talk about them on here. And I think they have them for sale as well. The secondary jersey, meh. It, it Literally, it looks like a white t-shirt. And maybe that's more towards soccer kids, but maybe just a different color other than white. It looks like whiteout jerseys. If, you know, if you ever seen one of those where it's just white jerseys. So there you go. You can read up about it, look at it, and then make your own reactions if you haven't already because this has been out for a little bit. There is some news on the other MLS team in state, Columbus, which I will talk about because I do like the crew. I do like the Blue Jackets in a love-hate relationship, mainly why aren't the Blue Jackets better? So, yeah, that's my relationship with the CBJ... But the crew, all their games are moving back to Fox Sports Ohio, which is absolutely a dynamite piece of news. Because I'm pretty sure if you have cable or satellite, you get FSN Ohio. The last deal was for Time Warner Cable Sports Network, which you can only get if you are a subscriber to Time Warner Cable, now Spectrum. I thought that deal was not great. Because if you're blocking out people that don't have Time Warner, which 
There's a lot of people around here, especially, that do not like the customer service or, you know, the dropping in and out internet, which we suffer here at home. You don't get that channel, and there's no other way to get it. So, yeah, you just literally, what was it? You blocked out a quarter or only a quarter of people in Columbus could watch it. I don't remember, but I thought that deal was really, really shady, and then the whole pre-court saga began to rear its ugly head. Thank goodness he's going to Austin, and the crew are staying put. Have fun down there in Texas, where your dreams of a stadium were kind of in shambles. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Chad Hollingsworth, a lot of soccer people around the area, and I will tell you that. So there you go. So that is... A nice piece of news. Before we get on the second piece of news involving Columbus, and no, it's not Ohio State football. I don't know why you were expecting me to talk about Ohio State football, but uh, I never do. So there you go. We'll talk about the Gem City Roller Girls. That's right. Roller Derby season is back underway. I did mention that the first home bout was going to be the Lavender Haze, which is the third tier team which is mainly for new and rookie skaters. They took down the Silver Bridge Bruisers 289 to 60. Again, that's Southeast Ohio and one county in West Virginia. The Purple Rain, which is the charter team or if you want to put it varsity JV and freshman terms, that's a varsity team of Gem City. Purple Rain defeated the Cincinnati Roller Girls Black Sheep Team in Westchester 193-84. to I had to do a little research to make sure that, wait, the Cincinnati Roller Girls, their home's at Schmidt Memorial Fieldhouse at Xavier. It still is, it's just that one wasn't, which makes sense. And I also mentioned the Gem City Roller Girls, all their home bouts are at the Orbit Fun Center. That's not true, there is one that's going to be at the Dayton Convention Center again. Which I thought was really cool, uh, getting to announce that bout in downtown Dayton. It's a lot of fun. And hopefully soon I'll have an interview with the announcer of Gem City Roller Girls. Because I think it'd be a very, very neat episode. Hey Bengals, have some more assistant coaches. This is from probably two weeks ago now. This is from... The Bengals, they hired running backs coach Jamal Singleton, Joey Bose for strength and conditioning purposes, and former Moeller football head coach and Doug Rossfeld. He is now the director of coaching operations. And you might be thinking, high school coach going to the Bengals? Ha 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 ha. Well, he's got experience outside high school, so I don't see the problem here. And plus... What better way than to hire a successful coach in Cincinnati? So I am looking forward to that. Again, mentioned that formerly the head coach of the Muller Crusaders. No defensive coordinator yet. And you might have heard the fun stories of Jack Del Rio's a no, then Dom Capers is a no, then that other guy's a no, and then your sister's boyfriend that happens to watch football every week is a no. Well, maybe not that last thing. But it appears that the Bengals have their sights on someone else. And this is from CincyJungle.com. Looks like Cincinnati is targeting Giants defensive backs coach Lou Anarumo. 
At least I think that's how you say it. Anna Rumo. He's the DB's coach. He's got an extensive background coaching defensive backs, but has never been a full-time defensive coordinator in the NFL. He did serve as one at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy from 1992 until 1994, back in the day. And yes, he has worked with Zach Taylor. When you see all these hires, there's a lot of them that has experience with Zach Taylor, whether it be at UC or in Miami or with the Los Angeles Rams. In fact, the other candidate that the Bengals are looking at are secondary coach Aubrey Pleasant. So Pleasant and Anamurumo are the only real candidates right now because Taylor has favored people that he's worked with, which it's not a bad idea in theory because think about it. You're familiar with what they can do. You put them at what they can do, then there you go. You expect great things from them. They're also looking at Falcons defensive coordinator Marquan Manuel. However, he is not listed on since the Jungle's website as a real candidate. So we shall see. Should you be worried that the Bengals don't have a DC? Eh. I'm more worried about the amount of no's that pushed down. Now, if Anarumo is hired, then that breaks the streak of, I'm a young head coach. Better hire an old dude to run the defense and learn from, which, you know, Sean McVay has. I feel like Tennessee's starting up with Matt LaFleur. Wait, no, Matt LaFleur's at Green Bay. Sorry, he was at Tennessee. But you get my drift. It's a little bit out of the McVay playbook, if you will. But we'll see how it goes. I'm not worried. Now, if they go into preseason without a DC, then (laughs) red flag. I've also seen people talk about how 2019 is going to be a tanking year. And just, I don't see it. Will it be a rough year? Perhaps. But... I like the Bengals roster. I do have concerns about Vontez Perfect. I mean, couldn't stay healthy last year. His off-field, you know, his off-field shenanigans, we'll call it that. Eh, they're not great. And it was also, what was it, third string running back for the Bengals got arrested? So, yeah. I don't know. But the concussion is the main thing that I worry about. Just because... There's really no coming back from that. So, it's a shame. So, that's your look at the new coaches and the chase for D.C. in Cincinnati. Now we'll talk about the Cincinnati Reds. Joey Votto saying that we can win the division in 2019. I like his enthusiasm. Can the Reds do it? I worry about Milwaukee. I worry about St. Louis. You take care of business, though, and business will take care of you. We'll see. I do get a kick that there are some people that are projecting the Cubs to finish last. We, (laughs) I hope we don't finish last again. I don't see us finishing last again, but what do I know? I'm a guy that enjoys listening to Marty Brenneman, which, by the way, is the last season of that. So there you go. You know where my radio is going to be glued to most of the time. That's right, 700. Listen to it. I guess it's also on 1410, but really, I get 700 everywhere I go. So, 
yeah. The only time I can't get 700, when I'm going, when I'm going away from Fifth Third Field, when I'm working for the Dragons, and you're on Third Street, some of the big buildings kind of block that signal out, which is nice because you swap to 1410, and I think it's like a couple seconds behind, and you can listen to it, and then once you get back out towards the open, it's back to 700 because it's a little bit clearer, a little bit nicer. So there you go. The Reds lost down the Real Muto sweepstakes. Real Muto is now a Philadelphia Philly. And Miami has their future ace in their farm system now. The Reds were not, you know, willing to give up a high prospect. And you know what? Good for the Reds. Good for the Reds. Because I want to see some of those prospects do well in Cincinnati. i like to see them do well in the MLB. Don't get me wrong. But when you go through the farm system, there's something special about it's it's like farming. That's why it's a farm system. It's something special about growing your own crops, if you will, and then enjoying the fruits in the big leagues. Now I'm hungry. Thanks a lot. Farm system, everything. Ugh. There is a pretty interesting signing, actually. Uh, Derek Dietrich. If that name sounds a little familiar to you, you must have watched some Miami Marlins baseball because that's where he's been all of his major league career. And if you remember the Dragons 2011 season, a very successful season for Dayton, Dietrich was part of the Bowling Green Hot Rods team that year. I thought that name looked familiar, so I looked up his minor league stats, and yes, he did play for Bowling Green, which would be Tampa Bay. Also, if he gets in the majors, it would be a reunion in his home state because he is from Cleveland, Ohio, and he is from St. Ignatius, one of the most successful high school athletic programs in this state. Not sure exactly when he got traded. Looks like he got traded after the 2011 campaign with Bowling Green. In Bowling Green... He played in 127 games, did Dietrich, and hitting for 277. He's been with the Marlins the past four seasons. Got there first in 2015. He stayed in the majors last few seasons. Looked like he might have had a rehab assignment for Double A Jacksonville. They're better names the Suns. Their name now is the Jumbo Shrimp. Stop naming your teams after food. Stop it. Anyway, last year for the Marlins, hit 265 in 149 games played. So, going to RedsMeyerLeagues.com, ran by Doug Gray, who's also a guest on this podcast, he's talking about that Diedrich is an above-average hitter, which is great. Defense-wise, also, offensively, his plate discipline the last two seasons... And Dietrich walked 29 times last year, struck out 140. So, yeah, plate discipline. Mm. Might have to pick that up if he does make the Major League Club. Is it a World Series signing? I doubt it. Because it's a minor league contract and there's no guarantees going to Cincinnati or not. Is it a nice signing? I think so. I think that's a nice depth piece. I mean, you have some backup in the infield. What if Votto needs a day off? He's getting up there in age. But Dietrich at first, his defense at first is pretty good. 
I mentioned too his defense outside that he's not rated as a good defender he is flexible however Derek Dietrich has played left field second base third base and first base and even nearly two innings of right field last year and that's his extent of his time in right field in the majors in his four years with Miami so World Series signing probably not a nice signing yeah because I think if he makes the majors it's what two million so it's not bad so I hope to see big things from Derek Dietrich as he signed a minor league deal with the Cincinnati Reds. Talked a little bit about college baseball already, which you can go back and rewind. Still can't believe that college baseball's first home game in the area is less than two weeks. Except that depends if the weather wants to continue be a butt or not. Ah, snow, I hate it. We'll talk about Boys Basketball Conference champs. And we'll make a, an episode talking about the brackets. The girls' brackets have already begun. I think they're in the second round, which I feel ashamed that I haven't covered. But then again, do you really want to listen to me tell you, oh, look at all these games here. That takes about 40 minutes to cover an entire Southwest Ohio bracket. I mean, if you want to, if you want me to, then cool. But, yeah, I'll, I'll try to streamline. I'm still thinking. Again, if you got any ideas or want to shout and curse at me, find me at the normal address on Twitter. So, we'll go over each conference, at least all the conferences I can find information on in the area. And we'll start off with my hometown, Twin Valley South Panthers. They won the cross-county conference in boys basketball, just dropping one conference game, and I believe that was Miami East. The Panthers won their first conference title in over a decade. So, long-time head coach there. Very successful season, very successful team too. Nineteen and three on the year. They did drop a tough decision to Brookville at home, but Brookville is a very solid team, and that might be a playoff game again. I cannot wait. That's a good series too. West Alexandria and Brookville aren't that far apart. So congrats go out to Twin Valley South in the Southwest Ohio Conference, Mount Healthy and the Owls. In the G-Walk their last year as the Mega Giant 20-team conference in Dayton. In the National West, it's Miamisburg. In the National East, it's split between the Centerville Elks and the Wildcats of Springfield. In the American North, it's Vandalia Butler, just a game over Sydney. And in the American South, it's Trotwood Madison running the table at 14-0. and Congrats go out to the Vikings, Elks, Wildcats, Aviators, and Rams, and also the Mount Healthy Owls as well. In the Southwestern Buckeye League, splitting the Buckeye title, the Waynesville Spartans, which I think is their first title in quite a while, in the Middletown Madison Mohawks. For the Southwestern title, it's the Brookville Blue Devils. In the Cincinnati Hills League, it is Wyoming, a perfect 14-0 conference record. Man, Wyoming's having a heck of a year. Winning the state title in football, and now the quarterback of that team is leading the basketball team, Evan Prater. That kid is quite the athlete. Whoever picks him up collegially is going to have themselves a good player. In the Eastern Cincinnati Conference, it's West Claremont. A couple years ago, before the merger, before the merger was Glenn Estee and Amelia, and it makes me sad because Amelia had the name of Barons, and that was pretty cool. Glenn Estee was the Trojans. Glenn Estee finished in last place in the league, and the merger, West Claremont the Wolves, they much improved. 
much improved, and they win the ECC regular season title. In the Cincinnati Metro, you have a three-way tie for first. That's right. These teams finished 8-2 and two in the Metro. In the Taft Senators, the Aiken Falcons and the Hughes Big Red. Congrats go out to those teams. In the Greater Catholic League, this is quite precedent because Muller is looking to be the first team since Zanesville did it back in 1995. I think it's 95, when they went 26-0 running the table throughout the playoffs. Muller's looking to be the first team to go undefeated, wire-to-wire sort of thing. The Muller Crusaders won the South GCL title. That's 41 straight wins. The last loss was the state championship a couple seasons ago. No losses in conference play since February of 2016. In the co-ed, you have Purcell, Marion, and the Cavaliers, and the Eagles of Chaminade Julian splitting that title. Congrats go out to those teams in the Miami Valley Conference, which is basically in Cincinnati and some in Butler County, which Cincinnati is not part of the Miami Valley. Butler, Warren County are. It just always makes me laugh. Anyway, Miami Valley Conference splitting the gray division title, Seven Hills and Cincinnati Christian, and Clark Montessori takes the scarlet title all alone. And the GMC, the Greater Miami Conference, Lakota East, just dropping one conference game. Congrats go out to the Thunderbirds. In the Southern Buckeye Athletic and Academic Conference, the only conference around here that actually includes academic, Clinton Massey wins the American title, Georgetown wins the national title. In the Shelby County Athletic League, it's Anna. In the Midwest Athletic Conference, St. Henry. The Western Buckeye has Ottawa Glandorf winning the title. In the Central Buckeye, you have the London Red Raiders of Kenton Trail and the Benjamin Logan Raiders winning the Mad River. The Ohio Heritage Conference, up north, it's Fairbanks. And in the south, Springfield Catholic Central. The Irish have had a great season. They follow me on Twitter, and it's great to see Catholic Central do so well. In the Metro Buckeye, it is Legacy Christian Academy, formerly Xenia Christian, winning the title. And from what I understood and did my research on, which is tough to find, in the Dayton City League, Stivers won the title at 8-2. and two. If you go on Max Preps and look at the DCL standings, it says Stivers is 8-2, and two, but then there's a couple schools that are missing a few games. So... I'm not entirely sure on that. I hope I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'll correct myself, of course. But congrats go out to all the teams winning regular season titles in boys basketball. To the playoffs. Yeah. And I know Twin Valley South was selling shirts saying the quest to go back to UD. Well, it's not that exact phrase, but... And people might wonder, why why am I talking about my hometown so much? Well... I'm proud to see my hometown school do well. It's the school I first went to, so, you know, there's that. And now we talk about state tournaments. Baseball is moving to Akron's Canal Park, home of the AA Akron Rubber Ducks, formerly the Arrows. Some people still refuse to call them the Rubber Ducks, which, yeah, it's a silly name, but it also is a heritage note about the rubber industry in Akron. Well, maybe the former rubber ac- rubber industry in Akron. I don't know. I've never been there. And football staying put at the Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium in Canton, which is where the first football game is played each and every season, 
which is a great tradition. Baseball was at Huntington Park in Columbus, but because the season is one week longer this year, the Clippers have home games. And it's tough to try to play state tournament games when the Clippers have home field. So maybe next year it'll change. I'm not sure. And football is staying put in Canton instead of going back towards Ohio State. On baseball, man, I get some of the people angry about it, especially down towards Cincinnati, because a lot of state championships are played in northeastern Ohio. But when you get towards southwestern Ohio, uh, not so much. Volleyballs play at the Nutter Center at Wright State, which I always thought was the coolest thing. But everything else, tennis. Tennis is at Mason. I, I always forget about that. But then again, when you have a big, a big tennis bout there, why not have it there? But most of the other state championships are played, you know, northeastern Ohio. And I, I get the anger on that. But if the Clippers have home games, you're not going to tell the Clippers, hey, go on the road. Because, you know, their schedule's kind of pounded in place. So I get the move. Canal Park's nice. I've seen pictures of it. I've never been there. Again, I've never been to Akron, but it's a nice field. Would Dayton ever host state baseball playoffs? If I'm the PA announcer, you better believe it. I mean, that'd be cool. I mean, hey, it's a single-A field. It's one of the nicest fields in single-A. It's one of the nicest fields around here. Let's be real. I always thought... Again, it goes with scheduling, but why not play it at Great American Ballpark or Progressive or Jacobs Field, as it should be called? Why not play it at a Major League Park? I mean, I get if there's home games for the Reds and Indians, they're not going to be like, oh, well, let's just postpone them so we can have state playoffs there. Why not play it there? Play major championships, you know, at GABP or Progressive. Why not? I always wondered why that wasn't the thing. Then I'm wondering, it's probably expensive to do that. So, there you go. Football, I'm torn. I, I'm quite torn on it, and I'll tell you why. No, I'm not an Ohio State fan. I think you kind of got that because, again, I said this podcast didn't talk about Ohio State football earlier, but... Getting to play at Ohio Stadium, I know that's a historic stadium. You get to play at the biggest college football stadium in Ohio. I get that. Playing at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium, I feel is really neat because you're playing on an NFL stadium. This is where you start off your season. This is where two NFL teams are picked to play in Canton and you kick off your season there. So, I always thought Columbus is the nicest place. I mean, it's not quite dead center in the state, but at the same time, it's close enough. And I I, I don't know. On football, I'm torn on that. Again, I wonder why not Paul Brown Stadium or what's that called now? First Energy Stadium? It's weird not calling it Cleveland Brown Stadium. So once upon a time, their initials stood for PBS and CBS, two television networks. There you go. I know there's a lot of people upset another championship's going to be played in Northeastern Ohio, but 
you know, sometimes things happen. Will it be played in Columbus football? Yeah, maybe. Because football championships bounced around in Ohio since the 1980s. It's been held in Columbus that entire decade, and then it bounced to Canton, then back to Ohio State, then back to Canton, then back to OSU. It's moved around a bunch. So we'll see. It's not a definitive yes, it'll come back, but we'll see how it goes. And lastly, to wrap up this episode, which I see is already coming in at an hour. That's great. New AFL team in Columbus. New AFL team in Columbus. New AFL team in Columbus. Like, what? What? what's AFL? What's AFL? What's AFL? Why did you repeat it three times? Uh, that second part, I don't know, but AFL is Arena Football League. And that makes me really excited because I used to follow the Columbus Destroyers and... You know, I hope they do well. They didn't really do well except that one playoff run where they fell in the title game to San Jose and the Sabercats. The AFL, as you might have noted back then, is not the same. In fact, it died and then it turned over and whew. There are six teams in the AFL now, including the first-year Columbus franchise, which I don't know when the name and the colors and everything are supposed to be reintroduced, and also Atlantic City is opening a team as well. You have the Washington Valor. You have the Philadelphia Soul, one of the key marquee teams in the AFL. The Albany Empire, which the owner is saying that it could double in these upcoming seasons, the size of the AFL, I mean. And the Baltimore Brigade. That's your teams in the AFL. So definitely not the stretch. You don't have the Chicago Rush. You don't have the Colorado Crush. You don't have the Sabercats. You don't have what is it, the Georgia Force. The Dallas Desperados, the Nashville Cats. You don't have the Grand Rapids Rampage, which that would be cool to see happen again because that was a really successful franchise. There's been a lot of turnover in arena football. I love indoor football. Let me tell you why. When you get to bounce off boards and you run for touchdowns, it's great. I mean, the last year we had the Dayton Sharks, the turf turned out to be taped down most of the places so first year turf was great the second year turf was not I mean the hair arena staff had really their work cut out for them and especially when the ice was gone that was hard concrete floor it's not pleasant but I love indoor football and I think it can work now you might have different opinions on that I mean I told you AFL has (laughs) seen a lot of turnover in fact some of the Classic franchises have moved on to the IFL, which is Indoor Football League. Like the Iowa Barnstormers. They're, they're a team I love just because A, Barnstormers, great name. B, have you seen their helmets? They have goggles. On, not actual goggles, but they have goggles on top of those helmets. It's great. And I don't know if this generation of Barnstormers has it, but the old generation had a propeller down the leg, like it's a stripe. There's it was fantastic. Also, one-time home of Kurt Warner. You might remember that. The Orlando Predators are now in the IFL. I think the Arizona Rattlers are there, too. So, will the AFL succeed? Will the new AFL Columbus team succeed? I hope so. I know a few of my followers on Twitter have broke out their old Destroyer gear. Will it be the Columbus Destroyers? I don't know. Have I put in for a job there? You better believe I did. I mean, getting to be the arena voice, getting to be the PA announcer, 
Man, that'd be cool. It'll be at Nationwide Arena, and I'm quite pumped. I'm quite pumped. And the schedule is out. Yep, 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 yep. The schedule is out, and there's my Porky Pig coming out. That's all, folks. But the name and colors, I'm not sure. I'm on the website now, AFL Columbus. We'll see. We'll see. And if the name starts popping up, we'll tell you a little bit about it. This is from Elizabeth Davida, the Director of Communications in the Arena Football League, talking about the new team to play at Nationwide in spring 2019. Play a total of 12 games during the regular season. Columbus has had their share of arena football history. They had the Destroyers, like I told you, from 2004 to 2008. And, in fact, Matt Nagy, who was the quarterback at the time, now the head coach of the Chicago Bears, he was one of the key names in that Destroyers team. One of the league's most attractive markets, according to the press release, Ron Jaworski, the chairman of the executive committee says, we're going to deliver an AFL team that will immediately excite and draw in the people of Columbus. The main highlight of the team, again, to the Arena Bowl. I forgot what the name was, so I called it the title game. In 2007, Matt Nagy was the quarterback. I mentioned now the head coach of Chicago Bears and the NFL coach of the year, too. There's a lot of excitement about rejoining Columbus. But with this new AFL, I'm not entirely sure. Again, five opponents. I mean, when we had the Dayton Demons, it was a common complaint that it's the same three. When they won the Cup, it was a common complaint. It's the same three teams. Can't you mix it up or anything? Uh, The answer was no. We saw three teams. It was fine. So 12 regular season games on tap for Columbus and the rest of the AFL. How about that? So, that will wrap up episode 84 of the Gem of the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Will indoor football return to Cincinnati? I doubt it. The last Cincinnati team were the Jungle Cats. Actually, that's not true. The Northern Kentucky River Monsters made quite a run on it, and they were okay. You might remember Jarrett Lorenzen, big lefty. He broke his leg in the second game, and the last year the Sharks, I didn't get to see him play, which broke my heart because I, I wanted to see it. He had himself a great first game, and then the second game, I think it was the second play, second offensive play for NKY, and he broke his leg, and that was it. So, I don't know. I mean, I love indoor football. I mean, there's not a sport that I've met that I don't like. I won't watch golf on TV, because that's just monotonous, let's be real, and racing, eh, I don't know, I mean, you're racing cars, I could call myself a racer too, if I count all the times I'm trying to get around people that can't drive in Dayton, but that's another story for another time, episode 85, maybe this week, maybe next week, who knows, we'll get back on schedule, again, sorry for the long delay, This has been the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast, 84th episode. Here's a joke about 84 Lumber, because that's a thing that still exists, but not in Dayton. This is Lee W. Mountain signing off. We'll talk to you again soon. 
Pulse Podcast Network. This has been another installment of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the local Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast. Closing theme by James Anderson from FreePD.com. Follow the podcaster on Twitter at the Lee W Mowen, spelled T H E L E W M O W E N, and the podcast on Twitter at Gem on Queen Crown. Like the Facebook page, The Gem on the Queen's Crown. For every link and platform available to listen to the local Sunday Sports Podcast, please visit theleewmowen.com slash podcast. Would you like a question about sports answered on the podcast? Send a message on Twitter at either account or visit theleewmowen.com and click Contact Me and your question might be answered in a future episode. Thank you for listening and your support of this podcast. Thank you.